This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 19th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Do police unions protect bad cops? And do the concessions that police unions win for their members contribute to quality policing? At the State Policy Network annual meeting in Grand Rapids, Michigan, I spoke with Derek Cohen of the Texas Public Policy Foundation about the proper role of police unions. Conservatives and uh, more broadly Republicans like to talk about the problems that unions present, uh, but almost always excluded from that discussion of unions are police unions. And where in education they talk about unions protecting teachers who are ineffective or uh, actively damaging within the classroom, you really don't hear that much from conservatives about uh, what damage or uh, protection of ineffective cops t- uh, unions for police actually provide. Certainly, certainly. I, and I think you, you hit the nail right on the head that, you know, when we have uh, problems in the classroom, you know, there are uh, more intractable issues put in place by these unions, whether it has to do with discipline, uh, curriculum delivery, whatever the case may be. However, there still usually is a route to satisfactory resolution of any sort of complaint or any sort of issue. The problem with police unions, and fully recognizing that police officers do have a, a nuanced and complex job, it is nearly impossible uh, to fully discipline uh, an individual outside the purview of the union. You know, the unions in most states have enshrined what's known as the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, and this Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights, you know, dictates very strictly what can be done to officers suspected of violating rules, much less ones that are, you know, quite frankly, a slam dunk case. So what protections do unions provide over and above the standard protections for salaries and time off and things like that that normal unions provide. But in terms of protections that deal with the specificity and the difficulty of the policeman's job. Certainly. And, and exactly. You definitely see a lot of a lot of the messaging and rhetoric couched around, uh, you know, reformers on police activity are coming to steal your pensions and other uh, red herrings like that. But beyond uh, the actual labor interests therein, uh, the, the unions push for fundamentally creating a privileged class when it comes to due process of meting out disciplinary issues or, in some cases, even criminal issues. Uh, it is not uncommon to see that uh, an individual suspected of violating at least department policy, if not state law, would be granted full notification of the charges that they face or the allegation that they face, those who are witnesses against, uh, all this prior to the actual hearing, of course. Uh, There are certain reasonableness standards when it comes to actually gathering this information. In other words, you know, regular bathroom breaks, uh, other, uh, I will say, other comfort other comfort issues being observed. And they also have uh, only a single investigator uh, allowed to question the officer, and the officer has the ability to retain counsel or uh, have anybody else there to represent him. Now, also, a big point of this is that they cannot be threatened uh, with disciplinary action. They cannot be offered uh, any sort of inducements. And this is fundamentally anathema to you know, basically the practice of the day that we see with normal criminal interrogations. You know, I would say that if this boils down to a to a one-line understanding is they don't want to be treated as a suspect, even if the activity is a crime. There was a case in uh, Fairfax, Virginia. His man name was John Gear, who was shot and killed in his own doorway. He was not armed uh, by, he was shot by police. And for the longest time, 
the public didn't even know the name of that person. And uh, is that part and parcel to the, the types of protections that uh, unions help provide? Oh, it, it certainly is. And again, you know, the, the, the standards in various states, uh, the standards vary across the states. Um, in many states, there are there is a, a waiting period, a cool-down period, before any formal comment has to be made. Uh, the 10-day uh, cool-down period was actually a pretty contentious item in the uh, post uh, Freddie Gray investigation. Uh, there's also a ceiling of proceedings, as you mentioned. You know, there is a while the investigation is taking place, several states do not allow departments to comment that a proceedings even taking place. And if it's found to be unsubstantiated, it's functionally expunged. And of course, you know, counsel for the individual officer, and this is always provided by the the body that oversees the agency. That uh, you know, for it would be the city if it was a local police department. Um, that, that is actually overseeing the investigation. A lot of these protections that you're talking about impact fairly directly on the process of meeting out uh, justice when it comes to police misconduct. And, uh, you, you know, it seems it would be harder than to identify the public, for example, to identify problem officers, or people who frankly just shouldn't be cops. And what defense do police agencies offer for uh, these kinds of protections that do make it more difficult to find the people who are the bad cops. Well, I, I think I think the I think the answer is twofold, and one of which I, I I somewhat agree with. I think the answer, insofar as that we want to make sure that before we take away a person's you know livelihood, that that we are making the correct decision. However, we have gone so far beyond that, where an individual re, re uh, you know basically remains on desk duty. Uh, retains full pay, whatever the case may be, while we're investigating, while the investigation is uh, taking place into, you know, a minor disciplinary issue, that that seems like needlessly cumbersome. And and again, when it comes to the the public messaging of this that we're seeing a lot from the unions themselves, it's this is just another example of the war on cops. This is just another example of, you know, people who wish to see some sort of reform in the criminal justice system not being, uh, not being on board with the the difficult sacrifices that. This body of individuals make. Compare and contrast Black Lives Matter and the response Blue Lives Matter, which is for cops. Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter are, are fundamentally distinct movements. Um, you know, the, the, the former coming from, uh, you know, perceived abuses in the cases of Eric Garner and the cases of Freddie Gray. Uh, and the latter basically being a counter movement to that, thinking that by saying Black Lives Matter, that comes at the uh, you know, at the cost of others. And, you know, certainly the rhetoric that the former has been using does, doesn't disabuse anybody of that. The problem with looking at them in tandem is that it creates this false dichotomy. It's a false dichotomy that, well, if you're for black lives, then you're not for blue lives, or if you're for blue lives, you're not for black lives. And then, you know, individuals will say, well, you know, all lives matter, and then they're dismissed by both as basically sitting on the sidelines and not engaging in, the, not engaging in this debate. This is all. Uh, this is all a very, very fleshed out um, organization process that we saw in Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky, and you know there was a book uh, that came out in '97, a new uh, new edition, I believe, in 2008, called uh, "Police Union Power, Politics, and Confrontation in the 21st Century." You know the very the third chapter in that book is called "Saul Alinsky, Still the Man with the Plan." So we generally see two of these, uh, I would say, proto-Marxist forms of organization drawing from the same exact playbook. Now, they, de they definitely both have different constituencies, but that doesn't mean that they're any different insofar as the tactics that they choose. Is there a choice to be made in the, in the near future for 
people who want to be able to say, I support the police, and people who at the same time say, I support uh, civil liberties and people having their rights respected, uh, and essentially having uh, being given the opportunity to say, the, the, the police union, these protections is, is a, are a key part of the problem uh, that we need to deal with, or at least uh, hem in a little bit. No, and I, and I think I, I think that's a hundred percent correct. I think that having to choose one or the other is, is going to be a stark contrast. Or is going to be a, a decision that needs to be made, and it needs to be ma- it's going to need to be made uh, more sooner than later. I, I think that if you are a police officer, or let's let's even say you are a person who no longer walks a beat, but that you have union interest in in, in the police, you're you're a police. Uh, union administrator. If that's the case, you are not behaving irrationally. I would like nothing better as if there was um, a, a union of criminal justice policy analysts. Now, if I'd have you know, some personal compunction against a group uh, joining such a group. But what if they enshrine protections saying that if you ever put out a white paper that was just slanderous, libelous, or completely completely false that you had all these additional protections. If you perjure yourself as an expert witness in front of the legislature or in front of a court, if there's all these extra protections. It's not irrational to believe that. I do think, though, that when it comes to the how justice is meted out, the cops from a you know, stepping back from the actual day-to-day of their job or the thin, you know, or the uh, blue wall of silence, if you will, mentality, stepping back from that, they should say, look, if we have the ability to ostracize those amongst us who give us these black eyes, our ability to cast out those from the, the brotherhood of police officers who do who does this damage to our profession, if they have that ability, then that would actually increase the prestige of that pr- uh, profession inf- infinitely. You know, it would actually have more, there, it would be more, uh, by being able to cast out individuals who, you know, put a, put a black mark on the profession, they will be able to actually raise the credibility of that profession. Derek Cohen is a deputy director in the Center for Effective Justice at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting this year. Learn more about criminal justice and policing at Cato.org.